So Ruth chapter 1. I guess Ruth chapter 1, if we are going in movie um, genres, this is kind of the origin story. Okay? This is how it all began. This is where we are introduced to the main characters of this story. And the incredible thing is this. We are going to see, absolutely, a story that starts in ruin and basically ash and nothing left. And it is going to become a story of redemption. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, during the time the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man named Elimelech left the town of Bethlehem in Judah. He, his wife, and his two sons moved to the country of Moab. The man's wife was named Naomi, and his two sons were named Malon and Kilion. They were from the Ephrathah family of Bethlehem in Judah. The family traveled to the hill country of Moab and stayed there. Later, Naomi's husband Elimelech died, so only Naomi and her two sons were left. Her sons married women from the country of Moab. One's wife's name was Orpah, and the other wife's name was Ruth. They lived in Moab about 10 years. Then Malon and Kilion also died. So Naomi was left alone without her husband or her two sons. All right, can I just get the elephant out of the room really quickly because you're all wondering it right now? Oprah was actually named Orpah at birth. Her family mispronounced it for the first year, so they changed it to Oprah. Okay, so she was Orpah, she's now Oprah. But in our story, we're talking about Orpah, not the tycoon, you know, billionaire. This is Orpah. So today we're talking about a time in the Bible. There was about a 350-year period in the Bible when Israel didn't have a king. And in that time, judges ruled over the country, and basically there was chaos and mayhem. In fact, the book before Ruth, if you go back one book, is Judges. The last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21-25, says this. In those days, the Israelites did not have a king, so everyone did whatever they thought was right. Hmm. Nothing new under the sun. Sound familiar? Right? So Elimelech and Naomi are married. They have two sons. And a massive famine overcomes where they live. They live in Bethlehem. And a massive famine overcomes, and we don't know all the details. But they make this terrible decision that they are going to leave Bethlehem, they are going to leave the place that God has placed them, and they are going to move to the enemy territory, Moab. And there, Naomi's life fell apart. Her husband died. Her two sons died, and she finds herself as a widow with no source of income or any family to help her out. Basically, she could have become a beggar, a slave, or sold her body to prostitution in order, in order to survive. And so she makes this huge decision, and we follow on in the story in uh, Verse number six, while Naomi was in the country of Moab, Moab, she heard that the Lord had helped his people. He had given food to his people in Judah. 
So Naomi decided to leave the hill country of Moab and go back home. Her daughters-in-law also decided to go with her. They left the place where they had been living and started walking back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi told her daughter-in-law, each of you should go back home to your mother. You have been very kind to me and my sons who are now dead. So I pray that the Lord will be just as kind to you. I pray the Lord will help each of you find a husband and a good home. Naomi kissed her daughters-in-law, and they all started crying. Then the daughter said, but we want to come with you and go to your family. Naomi said, no, daughters, go back to your own homes. Why should you go with me? I can't have any more sons to be your husbands. Go back home. I'm too old to have a new husband. Even if I thought I could be married again, I could not help you. If I became pregnant tonight and had two sons, you would have to wait until they grow to become men before you could marry them. I cannot make you wait that long. That would make me very sad, and I am already sad enough. The Lord has done many things to me. So again, they cried very much. Then Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye, but Ruth hugged her and stayed. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her own people and her own gods. You should do the same. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't force me to go back to my own people. Let me go with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you sleep, I will sleep. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And that is where I will be buried. I ask the Lord to punish me if I don't keep this promise. Only death will separate us. So, we find Naomi at this point decides to make and makes the decision that she's going to head back to Bethlehem. And she convinces her daughter-in-laws to go back to their families, and one does. But Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. It's kind of a, a famous quote in the Bible that often you will hear at weddings, which kind of makes me smile a little because actually it was a daughter-in-law saying it to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so completely broken, devastated, and with absolutely nowhere to turn, Naomi turns around and heads back home with Ruth right there alongside her. And so it closes out this chapter with this. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me, Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So, they arrived back in Bethlehem, and the whole town is abuzz. Did you see who just came back? Do you see who's here? And I'm assuming not in a good way. Man, she is a mess. She looked much better when she lived here. See, Naomi had left all these people in the dust. 
She and Elimelech had decided they didn't want to be in Bethlehem anymore, and they had left these people who had been suffering through a famine and said, you know what, we're done, we're out of here, you're on your own. And so these people are probably thinking, kind of serves you right, the master life is in right now. But actually, Naomi cuts them off. She says, call me Mara. Now, Mara means bitter. And the sad part being that when she left, her name was Naomi. And Naomi meant pleasant. She had become bitter. She went away full but she has now determined that God has brought her back empty. You may be sitting here today, and you started out on a full tank, and right now you feel like you're running on fumes. You're kind of just existing, not getting through. And you may be angry, you may be confused, and you may say, hey, just call me Mara, because you just feel bitter. You're wondering where God is. You're wondering how you ended up in the situation that you're in. You dreamed of a life full of impact, and instead you're sitting here with a life that's full of loss or pain and unfulfillment. And today you're saying, God, how did this happen? I put my trust in you. I did what I was supposed to. I did my Bible reading every morning. I went to church. I tithed. I was on the volunteer on a team. Where did it get me, God? I trusted you. And I'm just not feeling it right now because I feel like you've left me and I'm on my own. I had dreams. I had hopes. And now I kind of feel hopeless. And if that's where you are sitting today, Here's the thing. That's exactly where Naomi was. Exactly where she was. She had left for what she thought was going to be a better life. Instead, she lost her whole family. Two sons and a husband. Her home. And now she's come back. And if we look at this chapter, I believe there are two things that jump out of us from the life of Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. The first thing is this. The wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. See, those of us who live here or are here on Long Island know that it is not a misnomer when they call this place Long Island, right? It is a long east to west island. So if I go out of here today and I'm going to Montauk, Montauk being on the furthest east end of the island for anybody watching who's not familiar. If I go out and I say I'm going to Montauk, and instead I go out and I hang a left and start heading west. I could go for a long, long, long time west. Eventually I will get wet because I will fall into the Pacific Ocean, right? But you know where I will never get to? Montauk, right? Never get to Montauk if I'm heading west, because Montauk is completely east. And see, if we look at Naomi's life, her trajectory was completely in the opposite direction from where God had placed her, where she had been called to. 
She was supposed to be blessed in Bethlehem. But she and Elimelech decided that they were going to head to Moab. Now, it is almost impossible to overstate how wicked and evil Moab was. They worshipped a whole bunch of very messed up gods. That worship included human sacrifice, often infants and children. These were not good people. In fact, in Psalm 60, God refers to Moab as a place for washing his feet. It was not a good place to be. And yet, when faced with adversity in the place that God had placed them, when faced with a few tough things going on, and believe me, I love food. I know a lack of food is a tough thing. But when faced with something tough in the place God had placed them, instead of having faith and trust, they turned their backs completely and they headed right towards the enemy territory. Now, can I just say this as a, as a complete aside? The things that aren't of God and the things that we shouldn't be doing aren't always going to look scary. The devil is not dumb. He is going to make the things you shouldn't be doing look nice, look pretty, look like a better alternative to maybe where you are right now. This is not a roadrunner cartoon where the things we shouldn't touch have warning cliff ahead. It's going to look attractive at times. And that's what happened for Naomi and Elimelech. It looked attractive. Hey, Justin, think you were, in case you were thinking she was the only one in the Bible who ever made such a mistake, think of Jonah, right? God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh, northeast. Instead, he went to Tarshish, southwest. And see how that ended up for him? in a big fish's belly, right? Turned his back on God. So let me ask you a tough question this morning. Is your life pointed towards the things of God? Is the trajectory of your life towards the things of God, or is it towards other things? Does your heart and mind drift to the things that are eternal and that are God-honoring. It may be at one time you could emphatically say yes when I asked that question. You woke up and God was on your mind. First thing that you thought of throughout the day, you were talking to him and trying to work out ways that you could live and honor him in so doing. And then along the way, something happened. You got distracted. Illness hit. Adversity came. You got a new job. You got busy building a business. You got distracted. Cute boyfriend. For a lot of people, let me say this, COVID threw you off your rhythm. God used to be first. And all of a sudden, everything got messed up and God was someone you fit into your activities instead of the other way around. Maybe you felt let down by God. You thought something should hap happen, and it didn't. 
And you may sit here today and I say, is your life pointed towards God? And you say, okay, Charlotte, I'm sitting in church on a Sunday morning. See, here's the thing with getting to Montauk. If I head west, yes, I'm never getting to Montauk. If I remember geography, possibly, if I head east, south, east, or east, south, it doesn't take much, many degrees, for me also to miss Montauk while heading east. A little distraction. A little time spent on something else instead of God. And all of a sudden, my life is headed in a completely different direction. So my first question to you today is this. Where's your life headed? Are you headed towards God? Because the wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. Whether you have turned your back completely or whether you're just missing by a few degrees, you'll never get where you were meant to be, where God has planned for you to be blessed, if that is not the direction your life is headed in. The second thing I grab from this story is this. When you're blaming God, you're not trusting God. Look at Naomi, okay? So we go back to Ruth, and we go back to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 13. Naomi says... The Lord has done many things to me. Then we go a little further on in the story, verses 20 and 21. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. If this was a movie, right now, the narrator's voice, which would be a proper English accent, because they have to be, would say, uh, let's look at the facts. She moved away from where God had placed her. She stayed in Moab for 10 years. And yet she blamed God for everything that had happened in her life. She blamed him. And she concluded that because of everything that happened, he had made her life bitter. It was all God's fault. He let her down. I get it. I completely get it. She lost her husband. Most of you know my story. I lost a husband. Except my husband didn't pass away. He decided he just didn't want to be married anymore. And so I get being bitter. And I get being angry. And there were some nights when I had a little boy who I had to try and comfort and console because he missed his dad and he didn't know what was going on. That I owe but shook my fist at God. So I get being mad. But here's the realization that I had to come to. God didn't make him leave. See, God gave each and every one of us free will and a choice. It's one of the gifts he gave us as humans. And so 
a lot of the things that happen to us in life is because of the choices either we make or somebody else has made. And see, we can be bitter, we can be mad until the cows come home. But that doesn't change the reality or the facts. And here's what the Bible says, which is interesting. In, in Jeremiah 17, it says this, A person's own mind deceives him more than anything else does. Your feelings lie. Your thoughts lie. When you are trying to work things out in your head, there is a very good chance you will never work it out and you will come to the wrong conclusion. And so that is why God tells us in the book of Proverbs, trust the Lord completely. Don't depend on your own knowledge. With every step you take, think about what he wants and he will help you go the right way. There are so many things that have happened in my life that I don't understand. And the problem is, if I am mad at God about them, it is going to put a wedge in my relationship with God. There's going to be a separation there. Now, he has big shoulders. God can take it. But I can't. Because blaming God for my calamities only impacts my closeness with him. And that is why the Bible says, trust the Lord completely. There are some things we don't understand, and I can tie myself in knots trying to work out why it happened. It doesn't help me. And so I sit and I say, you know what, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. There will never be a logical explanation because, you know what, God, I don't see big picture like you see. I don't have your perspective. I don't know why these things are happening to me. But God, here's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to keep living, and I'm going to keep trusting, and I'm going to keep believing that the things that I don't understand are part of your plan for my life. The things that I don't get right now, there are going to be several years down the road that I'm going to look at it and say, oh, now I understand. Now I get it. But in the moment, we can end up like Naomi, where we say, well, God made me bitter. It's all his fault. Everything that's happened is his fault. That's it. I'm done. And that doesn't help us at all. Trust in the Lord completely. Because when you're blaming God, you're not trusting God. You're not believing for what God can do. Now, if we were to leave this story here, basically, it would seem like everything is just an absolute and utter mess. Naomi made two huge mistakes. She left the blessings of God, and she blamed God for everything that had happened in her life, even though she and her husband were the ones who had changed the direction of her life. But then there's an little nugget in here that she actually did know who God was and what he was capable of. Going back to verse 20 again, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. In the midst of everything that she has going on and everything that she is going through, she still remembers who God is. He's the Almighty. Actually, in the Hebrew, this is translated to El Shaddai. If you've been in church for 40 years, right now you got a worm bug because now you're starting to sing a song that was very popular back then. <laughs> Amy Grant had a song called El Shaddai that some of us, 1982, just to make you all feel, feel old, okay? El Shaddai. And here's what El Shaddai means. It means that God is the sufficient one. It means that God is enough. No matter what I am going through, God is ample. God's got it covered. I need peace, God is peace. I need comfort, God is comfort. I need healing, God is healing. I need direction, God's the way maker, right? Whatever I need in life, God is enough. Naomi is broken, she's ruined, she doesn't know where God is. But in that moment, there's a little glimpse that she remembers that God is enough. Out of the brokenness that Ruth chapter 1 starts with, God brings redemption. Now, not to speak ill of people who work at Genesis Church, but I was basically threatened that if I went out with my lane and told you anything else from the book of Ruth, I'd be in trouble, right? Certain person who's covering Ruth chapters 2, 3, and 4 told me I was not allowed to say anything about it. <laughs> not naming names at all, but... Here's the problem with hiring your daughter. She hasn't listened for 51 years. Why would she start now? <laughs> right? So... I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I will have my resume online later if anybody wants to hire somebody with my skill set. That would be good. But let me give you a little teaser. For a lot of us, when we, we, we read through the Bible, let's be honest, the genealogies kind of bog you down, right? It's like, yes, they begat, they begat. You can tell how long I've been reading the Bible. I'm saying begat, right? So the, the family lines. But actually, the first chapter of the New Testament is actually, I was about to say the bomb. It's the bomb, okay? It is incredible. Matthew chapter one, and in Matthew chapter one, we get the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus. And we see Jesus' actual family line in here. And one day I wanna do a study on it, because here's the amazing thing about Jesus' family line. It goes all the way back to Abraham. We're talking thousands of years. It follows through his family. There are five women named in that genealogy. Five, only five. The rest is, is all um, the men. One of those was a prostitute. One of those was a woman who pretended to be a prostitute. One of them was an adulteress. One of them is a teen virgin. And one of them was a Moabite. Those evil, wicked people. Ruth, from this story, 
From this ruin, God brings redemption, not just to Naomi, but to the entire world. Out of Naomi's brokenness, God brought a savior into the world. Out of Naomi's hurt, God brought healing to the whole world. And here's the great thing. He can still do it today. And he wants to do it today. Today you may be empty. Today you may be hurt. Today you may be bitter. Today you may be sitting here wondering, why am I here? Because I don't think God actually exists because he's forgotten all about me. You may be angry because he hasn't come through for you in different areas of your life. You may be bitter about some things that have gone on that you just don't understand at all. And so I want to challenge you today. Maybe today is the, the day that you need to refocus your life. Maybe today is the day that you need to do a 180 or you need to just fix things by a few degrees. That God needs to be back to being the focus of your life. That you need to make God the person that you think of, that you follow, that you live for, that you trust. You may be bitter, you may be angry, you may be confused. But today's the day you say, God, you know what? I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. But I know that you can take care of it. And you may be somebody who just needs a touch from God today. And the reminder is this. The God that was El Shaddai back in the Old Testament is still El Shaddai today. Whatever you need from him, whatever you need him to do for you, he's the God who can do that this morning. Let's stand.